to Puck Junk Podcast number six. I'm Sal Barry. Along with me is Tim Parrish, the real DFG on Twitter. We haven't done a podcast in a little while. We got a little bit of catching up to do. I know the Blackhawks winning the Stanley Cup is a little bit of old news by now, but you know, it's something that I've, I don't know, looked forward to all my life. So we're going to talk about it. Tim, what's your take on, uh, on what happened? You being a casual Blackhawk fan. You know, stop with the casual Blackhawk fan crap. <laughs> okay, first of all, you can't say all your life because they've won it before in your life. So you waited all your life up until the first time they won it. But seeing that this is the third time in your life that you can't really say that anymore. Hey, you know, I saw I, I saw the team lose the conference finals in 89 I saw them lose the conference finals in 90. I saw them lose in the first round to the Minnesota North Stars in 91. I saw them lose in the conference finals to Colorado in 96. You forgot about losing in the Stanley Cup finals in in, uh, 92. You forgot that part. Yeah, you forgot about that part. Oh, I did forget about that. Funny how I suppressed that memory. Exactly. Yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was funny what was because it, it uh, four games, I think. I think it was a sweep, yeah, it if I remember been, correctly. Probably should have been over in one, but you know, they they had to play. I wish somebody had taken a stick to the back of Yager's legs in game one, and and it would have been a very would have been a very different series. Um, I'm sure it would have been. Enough with the casual Blackhawk stuff, which you are not a casual Blackhawk fan, but you still have an opinion, and I'd love to hear it. I enjoyed watching the finals. You know, it was one of those things, like when we first talked about it in the beginning, um, before game one and and after game one and before game two, and it was really going to come down to, you know, which goaltender could put up a performance that was worthy of a Stanley Cup champion, and... There were obvious injury issues with Ben Bishop that weren't disclosed until later. Obviously, that's not an excuse that I'm making, but, you know, it was there. A healthy guy in net, would it make a difference? I don't know. I think the Blackhawks played a very dominant game, and they deserve they deserve it. Kudos to them. Dominant game, but they were s- still very close. I mean, the last game was the only game that was by more than a goal. I, I got to tell you something. I'm not saying that the Flyers in 2010 were a a bad team or the Bruins in 2013 were a bad team. You can say that. When I watched the Blackhawks in those two series, I didn't really have my doubts. Honestly, I thought the Blackhawks were going to, you know, go to Game 7 when it looked like they were about to lose Game 6 in Boston back in 2013. And then when they scored that goal, I said to myself, they're going to win this game because they just want to end it now. And then 17 seconds later, they scored that second goal And, you know, the rest is history, as they say. But in this series, I was legitimately worried because it seemed like they had met their match. Like, really a team that was equal in firepower. I mean, think about how, like, in the first, you know, not to go all the way back to Game 1, but just how dominant the uh, Lightning were in the first 10 minutes of Game 1. You know, that was something that we pointed out was the fact both teams were going to need to have depth scoring in order to push themselves all the way to the end. But... Even going into it, there wasn't another team out there that I think would match up well enough with the Blackhawks for it to be that close of a series. 
you could take player by player, line by line, and match them up with the guy, their counterparts on the Blackhawks. I mean, a, a lucky bounce one way or another, you know, if the posts weren't there, you know, you never know. Yeah, I mean, Patrick Sharp had that, I don't want to call it a lucky bounce, we could call it a lucky collision, where they collided, and then Sharp scooped up the puck and put it in the empty net. I mean, that was, I mean, a lucky bounce, lucky whatever you want to call it, a lucky mistake. And that's that's a lot of what, like, the series was like, when one team would make a mistake, maybe not that terrible, but when they'd make a mistake, the other team would pounce on it. Uh, you know, one team would lapse, and the other team would just, boom, they, they'd put it in the net. It was it was a great series. I mean, it was nerve-wracking, but I think that's what you want. Because, you know what, going back to your example of the 92 Penguins, I know if you're a, were a Penguins fan then, it's awesome to see your team win in four games. But when you think about a lot of those series in, like, the 90s and early 2000s, you know, when you had, like, the Red Wings super team of 2002 and, and stuff like that, I mean, was it really fun to see one team sweep another team in four games. I mean, that's not good hockey. As a team fan, of course it's fun. As a hockey fan that aren't a fan of those teams, yeah, maybe not be the best thing that you want to watch, but we're not going to have that anymore. I mean, because of the salary caps and everything else, you're not going to have those teams that are stacked from top to bottom with superstars and future Hall of Famers on every single line. You just won't. There's not enough room on teams there's not enough salaries to go around. So you're never going to see that. So the parity across the league is going to make for the better competition when it comes down to the finals. And I agree. That's good for hockey. I also think it's interesting that both of our picks for the Conn Smythe Trophy were wrong. You said it would be Sod. I said it would be Taves. And then you said, you know, but it could also be Duncan Keith because he did really good in the Anaheim series. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. It could be Keith. And it was Keith. That's what role players do. They perform. When they're supposed to perform, they perform. They provide a service to their team. That's exactly what Duncan Keith was there to do. When you say role player, that seems to be a bit of a misnomer. Role player from the standpoint of when you think of the Blackhawks, I don't think Duncan Keith's name is the first one that pops into your head. He's a leader, though. He's not like a role player. You. He is a leader. A role player is like the third line grinding center or the fourth line checking winger. Those are usually role players. Now, role model, that would be something else. Maybe. I still I still don't think that he's necessarily the guy. He's there to provide... He's their best defenseman. Well, he's there to be their defensive leader. You know, that's his job, and that's what he did, and he does it better than almost anybody in the league. But then he stepped it up offensively, and, I mean, thank the heavens for that, I guess, if you're a Blackhawk fan. And there's your depth. I mean, that's exactly it. When you have defensemen that can score... Just as easily as your forwards, you're going to go places. Well, speaking of which, uh, why don't we move on to the awards? I watch the awards show. I didn't. I missed like the first 20 minutes of it. I watch the awards every year, almost every year, just kind of like as a curiosity because the NHL tries to do this like comedy show, which in the 90s I liked because they would do these little skits with like Ron McClain and and like NHL players and stuff like that, and I thought they were funny. Now they have this, I don't even know who this guy is. I mean, I should know who he is. He's like some stand-up comic, but he's, he like... The one from this year? Yeah. That was Rob Riggle. Who is he? What is he from? He is an actor, comedian, I guess. Uh, You'll see him on a lot of those shows on like Comedy Central or like those, the live action type shows that are always on Adult Swim on Cartoon Network. NSF 
TU, whatever they call it, the one that makes fun of all the cop shows, he was on that. I mean, he's been in a lot of a lot of different movies. Like the latest one, last one I saw that he was in was um, Let's Be Cops. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. He's in there. He's like the main cop guy that helps them do whatever. But anyway, without getting into movie reviews, but yeah, I mean that's what he was. And I'll tell you what, the awards have turned into one of those things where I watch, and generally we'll talk about it afterward. So everybody that I'm talking to doesn't have to watch because they're getting bad. I mean, they're getting brutal. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, the NHL awards could be a drinking game without the game. You oh, just drink, exactly. you know. Yeah, I mean, it's like, like just 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 to make it to the end. Right. That was the hard part. I wasn't dozing off, but I was definitely zoning out towards the end of the show and just kind of doing other things and not really paying attention and looking at my phone and tweeting stuff out and making fun of it. Okay, I know Kevin Smith was like one of the guest presenters, but I missed that part. Of course, because he doesn't wear anything but hockey jerseys, so they figured, why not? He must like hockey. Don't you think that he would have been a better host? He would have written better jokes. Well, and I thought the best host that they've had in the last probably 10 years was uh, Jay Moore. I thought Jay Moore was hilarious on the show because he was just like, he knew it was bad. He knew it was awful. He knew the jokes that were that were canned were horrible. Yet he still went up there and did it, and he laughed at himself. I thought he was one of the better hosts. But people hated him. They didn't like him at all. This guy they got doing it this year was horrible. I don't know. I think the NHL awards, if they were NHL people putting it on, it might be better. It's like they've taken something from all the other award shows you've ever watched, like the Academy Awards or you know the Grammys or everything, and took all those producers and brought one from each and said, here, let's slap together an award show and do it like that. You know, you don't have the whole, you don't have Robin Williams, Billy Crystal and Whoopi Goldberg hosting the show. It's not funny. The jokes aren't funny. When the guys get up there and just talk without script, that's funny. Like what, what cracked me up was when um, shoeless Joe Yuri Hoodler got up there and took his Bing award. He had no shoes on. And he's walking up on stage and he gets behind there and everybody's looking at him like, Where the hell are your shoes? And he took them off because he was tired of sitting there with shoes on. So he goes up to on the stage and accepts his reward award with no shoes. That was classic. That was awesome. Totally unscripted. Wasn't you know, it wasn't supposed to be like that, but I thought that was funny. That that cracked me up. That was probably one of the only things that made me laugh. And that and when they were punking people with Carey Price holding the picture of himself, and they'd say, well, "What do you think of this guy?" Oh yeah, that, yeah, that was pretty good. I had I had I had asked my wife. I said, "Would you recognize him?" That was Carey Price, and she's like, "Probably because I've seen him on so many of your hockey cards." There has to be one comic out there who loves hockey who would be a great host, and then I think there's got to be at least. A dozen writers that they can find to write funnier stuff. Well, they're going to have to do something because... I got to tell you, every year the Chicago Blackhawks have their convention. They have a troupe from the Second City come. And they do an improv comedy show. And I got to tell you, the jokes that they write are so specific. But the people, the audience gets it. And the audience loves it. The NHL Awards, they try to make these jokes that kind of will, like, anybody, like, your casual viewer will be like, oh, I get it, they're making fun of that, and the rest of us are just like, you know, all right, have another drink, because this is just getting worse. And if they had something like that, where they just said, you know what, 
let's write a joke about the Oakland Seals or something. The, the people in the crowd would get it because they're all hockey people. The people watching the awards would get it because we're all hockey people. And I think it'd be a lot funnier. I mean, I loved back in the 90s. And I remember they did like this one skit where like Ron McClain is calling up Phil Esposito. And he's like, hey, Phil, I got bad news for you. They're eliminating all goals that were scored in the crease. And you're no longer the all-time third goal score, leading goal scorer. Now, this is back in 97 and he's been eclipsed by then. But uh, he goes, well, what do you mean? And he's like, well, where am I now? And then Ron McClain goes, oh, well, you're 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 right in front of Doug Huda. And he goes, who? Who? And he's like, hey, Phil, don't feel bad. You're still ahead of Tony. That's funny. <laughs> and I mean, it was just, that was hilarious. They would do stuff like that, and it was funny. Or they did another one where it was a parody of, like, the Nike ads where the unemployed goalie is driving the taxi. I remember those. You know, if you remember, I mean, again, I'm really dating myself because I'm talking about stuff from the 90s. But see, to me, that was like the heyday of like the NHL awards where they they did a little more planning. And now it's just, you know, it's just bad. It's, It's too much Hollywood. It's way too much Hollywood. It's too much trying to relate to everybody, not just the hockey fans, to everybody. And here's the problem. If you're trying to relate to everybody and everybody doesn't even watch hockey, they're not going to watch your awards, period. So, I mean, that's that's kind of all I have to say about that part. Did you want to talk about any of the specific awards? Because I've got a few with opinions. Yeah, I was surprised. Uh, well, let's start with the Masterton Award because I was really surprised about that one when it was, uh, what was it, Chris Letang and he had a stroke earlier in the season? Chris Letang came back to play in the NHL, okay? We're talking an elite league of players where only like the top 1% of players in the whole world get to play. He came back from a stroke. And basically he looked like he didn't miss a beat when he got back into the lineup. Instead of giving it to him, they give it to Devin Dubnik from the Minnesota Wild. I was kind of blown away by that because I thought this award was supposed to go to the person that best exemplifies the quality of perseverance, sportsmanship, dedication to hockey. How more dedicated can you be having a stroke and then going right back to work? Well, Dubnik was uh, in a three-goalie rotation in the AHL. That's pretty bleak to go from that. But he was playing. He was he was playing hockey. He was on a team. He was on a roster. He moved up to he was in Edmonton. Yeah, it was horrible there. He moves over to Minnesota and he shines as their goalie and, and makes them a playoff contention team. I get that, but that's based off of his performance on the ice, not all the not perseverance. What's perseverance? Oh yeah, I suck. I'm on a sucky team. Everything sucks. Now I'm good because I'm on a decent team. He had a stroke. Latang had a stroke. Come on, really? If you're going to give a guy with no shoes the Lady Bing Award, you have to give the Masterton to somebody that had a stroke. And what, what better story would that be? You know, here, we were just talk, got done talking. Hollywood producers. Everybody wants this big production. What better storyline than to focus on Latang and his, and his story and what happened? I can't think of any. Everybody loves a feel-good story. That's the perfect one. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's, that's my Homer bias feeding through because I think Latang is a great player. But I think you would feel the same way if it was any other player in the league that had a stroke and came back. I mean, cause, uh, here's the thing. Let's let's not discredit the third nominee because that was Andrew Hammond. And the Hamburglar was great for the Senators. 
he was great. But again, we're talking about the, the overall picture here of everything. You know, not just the performance on the ice, but the sportsmanship, you know, being able to persevere, the dedication to the game, all of that. And I'm not knocking the other guys at all, but come on. I mean, you you suffer a life-threatening injury and you come back and play. Uh, to me, that's dedication. I, I don't care who you are. Any of the other award winners you'd like to share your opinion on? <sighs> I mean, the majority of these awards are based off of statistical things. So, you know, whoever has the most, you get the art wash. So those ones don't really count. I was a little surprised that Hartley got the Jack Adams. Not to discredit what he's done with the Flames or anything, but I thought for sure that Elaine Vigneault was going to get it because of how dysfunctional the Rangers have been over the last few years and the fact that he was able to lock them down. But, I mean, he finished... In voting, I think he finished, He only got half as many votes as Hartley did. Uh, I was kind of surprised by that. I wouldn't have made that pick. I was surprised that Subban... Uh, who did they give that to? Eric Carlson. Oh, yeah, that's right, Carlson. That was kind of a controversial one. I think that the Twitters kind of blew up after that. A bunch of pe- I, I remember reading a bunch of people, Eric who? Because um, Carlson's not really a household name. Well, he is the captain of the Sens. So. He is, but again, it, it's the Sens. So there's there's that. I'm sorry, that was a dig on Sens fans. I, I apologize. Actually, I don't apologize. The other award uh, that I think they got spot on was Ekblad with the Calder. I called that at the beginning of the season. I don't think there was anybody else that was going to walk away with that one, other than maybe Johnny Hockey at one point. But Jonathan Taves picks up the uh, Mark Messier Leadership Award. <sighs> uh, you know, again, that's... Um, Whoever Mark Messier feels is the his favorite player of the moment, that's who gets that award. It's not, not you know, isn't he the only decision maker when it comes to that, or does he have a panel of people? I think he picks it. Yeah, so whoever took him to lunch that morning is going to win that award. Cool, I could win it next year. Did you see the uh, article I wrote about renaming the NHL awards? Yes, I did, and some of those were spot on. Well, thank you, but I, I was never really a fan of the idea of, of the Marc Messier Award, which seems kind of funny because I'm like saying, oh, well, let's rename the scoring title the Gretzky Trophy, let's name the Rookie of the Year title the Lemieux Trophy, whatever, right? right? But I just, I was never excited about Messier getting an award named after him or giving an award named after him. And you know, the funny thing is, is that when I was a kid, to me, Marc Messier was the coolest player. When I was like 15, he was awesome. I mean, even though, you know, his team beat my Blackhawks in the 90 conference finals and went on to win the Stanley Cup, he played his heart out. That was a damn good series. I mean, he was great then. He was great with the Rangers for the first couple of years, his first stint with the Rangers. Then there was the stuff with the Canucks, which we're going to have to save that for another time because there's just so much that went wrong from the way he split up the locker room to even like after the fact he sued the team for money after he retired. So I I, I think of all these things and I think of like, you know, like a good leader would also know when to retire. And I kind of felt that like he hung on, he hung on too long. You think of someone like Maurice Richard, Richard retired in 1960 because he wanted to go out at the top of his game. And when he started to slow down, he's like, no, nah, I don't want to be a second line, third line player. I, I, I'm going out on top. And he was happy that way. And Gretzky, I mean, Gretzky knew when to hang it up. Right. And I, I don't feel like Messier did, but yet his legend grew because he played so damn long. And then when I look at that trophy with the big hockey player, 
It's got the little hockey players behind it. And my girlfriend tells me, well, I think it's supposed to look like motion, like it's that player moving forward. To me, it looks like a mama duck being followed by the little baby ducks. Remember in like the cartoon, you'd see the mama duck and the little baby ducks walking right behind it? It's a nesting doll trophy. No, that would at least be cool. Like, but this is like, you know, oh, the mama duck and the little baby ducks are following it. And that's because the mama duck is a good leader. And so is that Marc Messier. And the other thing with that is it's, it's that combo where it's leadership plus dedication and commitment to charities and charitable organizations. Isn't that what the NHL Foundation Award is for? Yeah, exactly. Basically, you have two awards that are more or less along the lines of the same thing. You get two different sets of nominees for both. Because here, Mark Messier Award goes to Jonathan Taze. He wasn't even nominated for the Foundation Award. Right. And it's okay to acknowledge charitable work that the NHL players do. I don't have a problem with that. Yes, there are two awards, and it is redundant. And my other problem is that the, the Ted Lindsay Award, I really want that to be the Leadership Award. And that would make sense. That would make perfect sense. Because, I mean, this guy had his career messed with because he tried to start a player union. I mean, every day before the players go to bed, they should say a prayer to Ted Lindsay and Carl Brewer and even Bobby Hall going to the WHA. I mean, that that did more for player salaries escalating than probably anything else. Stan Makita used to say that he used to bow to the West and pray to Bobby Hull, who was in Winnipeg, because the Blackhawks tripled his salary after Hull uh, jumped ship. Like I said, the way you wrote that and the, the, the choices you made to rename some of these awards, I think most of them were spot on. Just because you have a league that's basked in tradition. We're at the point now where people don't have any clue who these people are. And when you go back like you did and you know you research who some of these people really were that were naming these awards after, you start to scratch your head and you're like, huh? Really? Yeah, I mean, Art Ross was a was a great scorer back in the day when the forward pass was not allowed and goalies didn't fall down to make saves. I mean, you know, okay, so you had 12 goals in a 10-game season or whatever. I'm making that up, but you get my point. It's like, it's it's ridiculous. I think Brett Burns' beard needs to have an award named after him. The beard or the... Uh, no, just his beard. Just his beard. Yeah, Brett Burns' beard award. I think they should go to somebody. <laughs> We're going into ridiculousness over here. Going off the rails? Yeah, let's... Uh, I want to talk about... <laughs> uh, I want to talk about the draft. Okay. I want to talk about the draft. Let me ask you this question. Did you watch the draft? I did not watch, watch round one because... Because I my band was playing, so I did not get to see round one. However, I was paying attention to it on my phone, and I watched all the rest of the rounds. I actually sat on the couch and watched the next three hours of rounds two through seven. Really, they went by pretty quick. Here's my opinion of the NHL draft. If you watch the draft, I'm sure you did this for scientific research purposes and not because you were desperate for hockey, but I feel that like people who watch the draft are desperate. You're like, oh my god, the hockey season's over. What do I do? Well, I can watch the awards show. Now I can watch the draft. Now I can watch the free agent coverage on TSN. To me, the awards is when you've eaten the whole bag of potato chips and you're out of chips. So you take the bag, 
and you kind of tilt it sideways and you tilt your head back and you shake those crumbs from the bottom of the potato chip bag into your mouth. That is watching the NHL draft. That is desperate, just like you're desperate for that last taste of potato chip. And I got to tell you, when I got into hockey in 89, I got into hockey halfway through the season. It was like January. I was like 14. No, I wasn't even 14. I was 13. So I only got to watch half the season. And I'm like, oh my God, this sport is great. So I did watch the draft because I was like, well, maybe the Blackhawks will draft a good player and then they'll, they could beat the Calgary Flames next year. And then I remember they drafted, not the Blackhawks, but the Nordiques drafted Matt Sundin first overall. And they said, oh my God, this is, you know, this is history being made. The first European ever picked first overall. And I'm like, hey, cool. I just saw something historic, but I was still bored because the draft was boring. I watch usually the first round of the draft because there's all the hype that surrounds the lottery beforehand. Who's going to get the first pick? Who are they going to take? Most years over the last probably 10 years, there's been a consensus, number one, number two kind of thing. Obviously, if Connor McDavid wasn't there, Eichel would have been the first pick. If he wouldn't have gone into the draft and he was the first one next year, he probably would have been the number one pick. So you got a number one, you got a number two. There's usually that kind of dynamic each and every year, which is fun to watch. I like watching the player interviews. I always find it amusing when the interviewers go up to these kids, and I say kids because that's what they are. They're kids. They go up to them, and I always like to hear how they respond to some of the questions because you can always tell the guys that are hockey players first versus the guys that probably since they were 12 years old, have been groomed for this. Go on. I call it the Sidney Crosby response. You know, Sidney Crosby was turned into a machine from an early age to be a hockey god, and that's what he became because of how he was brought up. And not only did he have the game on the ice, but he also had the personality and the media skills to deal with interviewers and everybody else. He knows the right words to say. He knows the right you know, way to say it. He's never going to say anything controversial. He's never going to say anything that's bombastic and and over the top. You're never going to hear that from him. Some of these guys that they were interviewing, they had that same kind of, I'd like to thank all my teammates and I'd like to thank my coaches. And, you know, I'd like to thank God and my parents and they're on point at all times and they don't really stray off the beaten path. And so that's why when I heard a couple of the guys say a few things that just, they kind of made me laugh a little bit. And I was, I was on Twitter having some conversations with a few people as we were watching it. And like the, the abs in the second round, the abs picked AJ green or AJ Greer. Sorry. And he plays with Jack Eichel on Boston. So they asked him, okay, you know, now that you've been picked, what are you going to do now? And he makes mention of the fact that, him and Jack have a rooftop rented down by the beach, and they're going to have a big party. That's awesome! A normal guy's not going to say, yeah, I'm going to go out partying. So, I mean, I think I made a comment, I posted on Twitter about, you know, one word of advice, ban cell phones. Because whatever happens at this party is going to be pictures and everything all over social media. Do not wear a big yellow shirt that says Caner on the back. You get moments like that out of the draft that I kind of think are interesting. Like, But that's way more entertaining than than I'd like to thank Mom, Dad, and God. Well, well, right, and you know, you get more of that in the first round, but in the second round you get these guys that, second, third round you get guys that may had potential for first round but didn't get picked, so now you got the tension of them just sitting there chewing their fingernails 
waiting to see, am I going to get picked? Am I not going to get picked? Then you got surprise picks, like the first ever Chinese-born player was was picked in a late round of the draft. There's, I guess there's never been a, another Chinese player ever drafted. He's the first one. So, you know, they made a big deal over the fact, because he started in China, and that's, you know, when he was growing up as a kid, they didn't have a lot of rinks and everything. And as more and more people got involved with hockey, now he's like an ambassador for a whole entire country. That to me is the, the interesting storylines that you pull out of the draft. I think that's why I actually tried to sit there and subject myself to everything that happened from round two on. Because I wanted to see and hear some of those stories. And I think NHL did it. NHL Network did a pretty good job with coverage. One thing they did that I, I actually really liked, every time a player got drafted... They had footage of that player ready to go from college, from junior, from international. And I don't know how long they've been doing that, but I mean, you can only watch a player walk down the steps and shake hands with, you know, a dozen people. And they showed that, but then, you know, when the other team is scratching its nose saying, well, okay, who do we draft now? They took the guy that we wanted. They're showing footage of that player and I just really thought that was interesting. I mean, they would, like, spotlight him, and, and then they'd say, watch what he does here, watch what he does here. And I just thought, wow, this is really cool that you have this ready to show. I don't really keep up on the draft so much. Like, I'm more into, like, the prospects, like, who's in the system already, not so much, like, who are they going to draft, because, you know, a draft can go a hundred different ways. So it doesn't really matter. Plus you may never see these guys ever. Right. But once they're drafted, then you kind of care like, Oh, okay, well this guy's going back to college for another year. And this guy's playing another season in junior. And this guy he's done with junior. And now he's going to the AHL or whatever. You know, that to me is more interesting than like, Oh, are the avalanche going to pick this guy or are they going to pick this guy? And, and, and I liked the fact that they had footage and I liked the fact that, uh, they didn't just interview the player. I liked it when they interviewed the parents. Yeah, that's that's always good. They go out in the crowd or they pull the parents down and talk to them a little bit. And, you know, a lot of the parents have the same stories, you know. I, I spent the last 18 years waking up at 3.30 in the morning so I could, you know, drive them to the rink. And, you know, it's, it's a major commitment. It's, it's great for them to have their moment and just say how proud they are and how happy they are. And, you know, maybe even they get a little bit of that vicarious existence, but who cares? They made a lot of sacrifices to, you know, it seemed like back in the, like the forties, the fifties and the sixties, if you played hockey well enough, you'd get a shot in the NHL or at least on the farm team, or you'd at least play junior. But now it seems like you have to, a, a hockey player is a product of so many things now from the power skating schools to the coaching to the elite levels of uh the, the different elite leagues uh that that kids could play in even before they're ready for junior hockey it's it's funny you say that because that came up in conversation because you know, as I'm sitting there watching and as the rounds go by you know Jess is sitting there next to me and she asked me a couple questions about you know some of these guys that are going out there and you know I said there's these are the best of the best that are getting picked out of a pool of players that's thousands of players deep because you have scouts at every level all the way down from the peewee leagues and the bantam leagues all the way up to you know AHL, CHL, OHL level players constantly scouting these guys and you figure there's leagues everywhere. Every like every state in the United States probably has has 
30 to 100 different teams. Same thing with Canada, probably double that. So, you know, you're dealing with pools of players that are enormous, and they're scouting these guys, these kids all the way down to like age 10, 11, 12 years old, seeing, hey, this guy's got potential. Let's take a look at him next year. Hey, he's got potential. Let's follow his career through high school. Hey, you know, they're so they're – you know, they're looking at these people going forward. So when you say about how this player gets drafted and that player gets drafted, you may never see these guys for years. You know, it, it's funny because you talk about how, like, what prime example, Corey Crawford. You know, Corey Crawford's now cemented himself as a, as a superstar because of the Cups. But five years ago, nobody knew who Corey Crawford was. But he was still basically an NHL player. He was drafted in what? Oh, three. And like, nobody heard of him for 10 years because he had to work his way up through, because when you get drafted, you're 17 years old, 18 years old, you're not ready for hockey. There's, there's, there's a fraction of 1% of players that are ready for hockey. Connor McDavid is probably ready for NHL. Jack Eichel, probably ready for NHL. The guys that get drafted in the second, third, fourth rounds, the reason why they're in those rounds, they have something a part of their game that needs to be tweaked. And they're going to get that as they go to college, as they go to the minor league teams, as they work their way up and through. So, you know, I, I enjoy seeing some of these guys get a shot. I enjoy seeing the, some of the excitement that, that, that they have. I know I was kind of disappointed how every time they showed Jack Eichel, he looked like he was totally annoyed by the whole process and the fact that he was even there and had to be filmed. I, I kind of thought that was interesting because the guy barely smiled. It was, it was uh, some of those, you know, those pose shots that they always give of the first, you know, it's usually the top three picks. Um, those are the only times I ever saw him smile. When they were talking to him or interviewing him, he was like Mr. Serious the whole time. Didn't crack a smile at all. I thought, what is this guy just got drafted second overall. He should be the happiest guy on earth. And he's just like Mr. Business. And, you know, it, it's, it's that kind of stuff. It's all those little, those little nuances that are fun to watch. You know, it was funny you mentioned Corey Crawford, and that makes me smile because I remember going to card shows and finding his rookie card in like quarter bins or 50 cent piles, maybe maybe a dollar for something that was like serial numbered. And I would just, I'd buy him and I'd smile and I'd be like, you know what, someday baby, right? But I mean, okay, card collecting, if you're thinking about trading, reselling, whatever, I mean, it's speculative. But I think what annoyed me about that was that it was like all his rookie cards were from 0506. Mm-hmm. And... I was picking up his cards in 2007, 2008, 2009 for 50 cents each. And people were probably thinking like, oh, this guy's a bust. And this is in Chicago. This is in, you know, in Chicago, I'd go to shows and I'd find his cards in like quarter boxes because why? Because he wasn't an overnight success like Patrick Kane, where like his rookie card was pulled from packs and shot up right away. And then it's just like, that's the difference between your collector and your speculator. And I guess I'm a little bit of both sometimes, but you know, I grabbed a bunch of Crawford rookie cards and now some of them are like ten, twenty dollars and I just smile because I go, Oh yeah, I bought that for fifty cents, you know. When yeah. when because he was a player that I was going to buy no matter what. I mean, same with Danny Richmond. I know you don't remember him. 
Chicago-born player, played for the Blackhawks for a few games, wore number 44, which was my favorite number, and I also picked up some of his rookie cards for a quarter, and they're probably worth a quarter, but it doesn't matter to me. I'm, right. you know, just happy to have found them, but it's a little bit nicer when everybody's like, oh, Corey Crawford's a good player, let's jack up the price of his hockey card. It's supply and demand, just like anything else. That business is supply and demand. I mean, here's the thing. You just said his first rookie cards were 0506. You were picking him up a year or two later, still for a quarter. The guy was drafted in 2003. So there's a prime example. His first rookie cards were in 05. He was drafted two years prior to that. So nobody even really, unless you paid attention to the draft or watched the farm systems or paid attention to any of that, you didn't see him playing until then. I mean, he had to play, what, one game to get a card? Is that what the rule is? You have to play at least one? Or be a backup. Or be a backup. I think he played a handful of games in 05, 06. Yeah, probably because of an injury, so he got a call up or something. And the team was terrible. It's one of those things. You either you either enjoy watching the draft for whatever reason you have. I will be 100% honest, and I will say I'm one of those people, like you mentioned before, that I miss hockey. I miss watching it. So there is a little bit of that. This is my last opportunity until next season to watch. But I like to see who the Penguins pick up. To sit there and analyze their first round, how they did in their first round, the Penguins did great because they had no picks. So I can't say they did bad or good because they had none. You know, Their first pick was in the second round. I think the guy that they got is going to be a, a pretty good player. He's got a lot of potential. That's that uh, uh, Daniel Sprong kid. If he actually makes the roster, he'll only be the second uh, Dutch player to ever play in the NHL. Um, if he makes the team eventually at some point, but uh, he's got a lot of potential, and I, you know, wanted to see who they got in later rounds. I really wanted to see who they were going to trade because that's that's to me is what's fun to watch in the draft. Who's going to panic and start dumping players so they can pick up higher draft picks and solidify their depth in their minor league teams? And there was an awful lot of that. Especially by Boston. Now, you know, in this in this super wired age, I mean, you'd get a tweet and it'd be like, this team is talking to this team. That was the end. That was the exact end because everybody was expecting Jim Rutherford, the Penguins GM, to do something. And then they interviewed him during, I think it was probably the fifth or sixth round, NHL Network interviewed him, and he sat there deadpan. And they kept asking him, are you going to make a move? Are you going to make a trade? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? And he was just like, well, I think, I, I think we might be okay right now, but eh, you know, maybe we'll do something. Then you see him on the phone. So if you watch the video, he'd immediately go back to the table, and he's on the phone. So people are tweeting out, oh, geez, Rutherford's on the phone. What's up? Then he put the phone down, and he'd be talking to the guys at the table. Oh, there's a big discussion at the table. Then he's on the phone again. Oh, what's what's he talking to? Who's he calling? He's talking to Brian Burke. You know, who's he talking to? At the very end, when everybody's leaving, all the Penguin executives are still there at the table. The floor is empty. Pretty much the only people down on the floor are the cleaning crew, except the Penguin staff. They're all there sitting, chatting, and talking. And at one point, you, you can watch and there's video footage of this from people's cell phones. At one point you can see it. It looks like it's kind of getting a little heated, the conversation. They were down there probably a half hour after the whole place cleared out, just talking and discussing. And so you're thinking, what are they talking about? What could they be saying? 
is there a trade? Who's getting traded? Sutter's getting traded. I know it. They're going to dump Mata to somebody. And this is, all these things are going through my head. That's the insanity. Completely crazy. I shouldn't have to think about this stuff. Fans shouldn't have to think about it. But we do because we don't know what's going on. And it's all that mystery that, that's surrounding all of it. So that that's the fun part to me, I guess. The speculation. Yes. And I don't consider myself a prospector by any means, but just the fun. It's it's fun to sit there and wonder, hey, is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? And, and kind of watch what people do and the dynamic of that whole thing. You know, next year, though, uh, NBC Sports Network or TSN or both of them or all of them or whomever is televising, they're going to get a lip reader. They should. They're going to get a lip reader, and they're going to be like, it looks like Rutherford is, it looks like he said Malkin, you know, and it'll play back his mouth really slow. The uh, the GMs will start doing this where they start covering their mouth and talking on the phone. They'll have their clipboards over their mouth like they do in football. Yeah, she can't, she can't read my, you know. It's like the opposite of poker where you can see everybody's cards. And that's true. Here's the thing. Going into it, everybody's got the same list. You know who the prospects are. You know who they all are. Everybody scouted the same guys. It's like a fantasy football draft. Everybody's got the same list. It's the same guys on. You may have them in different positions, but they're all on there. And many times when they flash down onto the floor and they would get close enough to the tables, you'd see the guys with the list of players. Some are highlighted in blue and some are in yellow and some are in green. And you can't see what it says. You just know that that's the names. And you're thinking, I wonder what green means. I wonder what blue means. I wonder what yellow is. Are the other ones there, the guys that they're picking? You know, who, who are the green teams? Are those the kids that went to the division teams that they're going to scout other players from the teams that they played on to find out different things that they might not already know about the guys that they didn't learn in the interviews or the psychological evaluations? And, you know, what we brought up before about Martin Brodeur being down there as the assistant GM, they interviewed him in one of the later rounds. The guy seemed totally just oblivious just like i'm just happy to be here it was one of those kind of interviews i thought it was so funny my dad got me this job now do what i say or you'll be fired that that sort of thing exactly he was just like we're sitting at the table and these guys are doing this and doing that and it's fun to watch and it's i'm just having a good time i think they were making a roundabout comment as to how much input he actually had he kind of just deflected the whole answer and, and went somewhere else with it so He's like, I'm happy to be in St. Louis and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I just started laughing. I thought it was funny. Yeah, Broder's good at deflecting things. We know that. Yeah. Well, there you go. Made a career out of it. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen of St. Louis, your assistant general manager. That's our show for this week. Thank you for clicking on that play button. And hopefully you'll be back again next week.